Hello my friends, welcome to another Mom Movies Weekly. This one is uh, number 45. I got a loaded 45 here, you got pimples. Hello there film freaks, movie maniacs and cinema sickos. This is Mom Movies Weekly, my name is Greg Fisher, his name is David Roberts and this is the podcast where we like to talk about all things cinema, movies, that kind of stuff, you know what I mean. How's it going Dave? I'm pretty good sir, I'm pretty good, how are you? I'm all the better for seeing you, my good buddy. Uh, Well, this year is the 50th anniversary of one of the greatest films ever made. It's The Godfather. So let's talk about it. Okay, so it was made in 1972, 50 years ago. 50 years ago, can you believe it? Uh, One of the most celebrated films of all time, considered by many to be one of the greatest gangster films. Some people say Goodfellas, some people say The Godfather. <laughs> They're both pretty good. Um, the Godfather and The Godfather 2, because, you know, it's kind of like Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. They're both so well revered yeah. and well loved that, you know, they're kind of seen as one. But yeah, um, the first film, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Al Pacino, James Kahn, uh, Talia Shire. So many, uh, you know, great actors and actresses in it. Um, it's 50 years old. They've just put it uh, back on the big screen again. So they've cleaned it up a bit, 4K'd it, put it up on the big screen, people to see. Iconic. When did you first see it? Oh, um, maybe, maybe it was about 16, 17, something like that was when I first saw The Godfather. It was a bit later on. I'd already seen things like Goodfellas and stuff a bit earlier. But I was a little bit older when I saw Godfather, which is probably good because it is a bit more of a um, more nuanced and, and slower film than something like Goodfellas, which is... Um, a bit more modern. It's quick and modern, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, an absolute classic, as you say, it is. I mean, it's uh, the second greatest film of all time if uh, we go by the AFI list, uh and the right. poll list is usually behind Citizen Kane. Um, it's in the National Film Registry. You know, most lists have it on there within the top three or four. It's it's in there generally, isn't it? And uh, there we won Best Picture. Hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting as well because one of the films that not only was it critically acclaimed and has been for years, it was also, um, in terms of box office, an absolute smash hit. Yeah, uh, it was the best grossing film of the year for a time. It was the best grossing film of all time. Obviously, by now it's been taken over many times uh, by other films, but um, still up there as one of the biggest grossing films as well. Um, right. A lot, you know, a bit like the book, really, because it was based on um, Mario Puzo's novel. Ever read it? Uh, I've never read it. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've known a few people who have read it. I, I've never got around to doing it, which I should do. One day, but that it's was worth also it. one just, of the just best to see novels, the, isn't it? Just to see how you know it differs from the film, because I I read it years after I'd seen the film, um, just to see the differences in it, and um, I'd probably read a like a, a magazine piece about you know uh, what was left out of it and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that got me interested in reading it, you know, the character of Luca Brazzi, the uh, the the enforcer, the hitman guy, the big fella, his oh, yeah. ca- his character in the book. <laughs> is dark as 
I mean, there's things like him throwing baby into a, a babies into a furnace and stuff. Like that. It's like stuff you would never have in the film. Exactly, no. you know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's grim enough as it is. It's pretty grisly sort of subject matter. But when you read the book, it's like, oh, I see why they left that out. Yeah. It's one of those for me. It's like they always say the book is better than the film, and most of the time that's true, but not in the case of The Godfather for me. No, because um, I, I think so much about the film is about more than more than the story almost it's yeah. like a it's like a myth um so to, you know obviously yeah 50 years have just re-released it to, to mention you know re-mention that point it, we, we, they've done a celebration at the oscars which was uh, yeah. really nice they did a video package and of course uh, De Niro, Pacino, and Francis Ford Coppola came out on stage and they, they gave a little speech, which was really nice. Um, although I did think they're looking a bit old now, aren't they, uh, at this point? Well, they are, bless uh, them. They're they all are, getting yeah. on like into their um, 70s and towards 80, I suppose, you know. Yeah. Um, they've put out this new release. They've cleaned it up again. It's not the first time that's happened, but, you no. know, it still looks... Beautiful. Yeah. And... Um, I think, I that's think it was the, uh, Gordon Willis uh, shot it, wasn't it? And uh, he's like the master of shooting in low light. Yeah, because so many, that's, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention. Um, the cinematography on this is is really the most iconic thing about it, probably. Yeah, exactly. It was a period reason. film. It was filmed in the seventies, but it's obviously based uh, just after the war. I think you know, late forties into the fifties. There, fifties. Yeah. So. Um, I think the cinematography had to in some way emulate that kind of time period. And that's what I mean, shooting in low light and, um, you know, uh, certain things about it that just sort of smacked of that time, you know. Well, it's, it's interesting because they um, they made a distinctive kind of um, point at the outset when they were filming the film of saying we're not going to use helicopters or modern filmmaking techniques. Yeah. They they were going to shoot very static. Um, yeah. They want it to look like a painting was the kind of premise, which makes sense. You know, you want to, to invoke the, as you say, the more, you know, an older aesthetic and also yeah. like this Italian influence um, artistry yeah. uh, and stuff like that. So it makes a, a total load of sense. But also, um, obviously, they wanted this dark look, and the blacks are so black in this film. It's so like if yeah. you get a good screen to watch it on of a good copy, yeah, it's so crushed and saturated. But they deliberately cranked the cameras down, uh, and when they pro and processed it in a certain way, very deliberately to get that, uh, that yellow tone. Yeah, it's very famous for the golden yellow tone. It's really yeah. dark and, and, that, and that beautiful tone, and it looks fantastic for it. But they kind of deliberately did it in the first place um, so that the film would come out how they imagined it to look to stop any studio interference on, um, you know, the look of the film or anything like that. They, yeah. Like, no, we're going to make it. Because so that was one of the things it. that was so famous about it that Coppola had such a hard time making it. He had a hard time oh, off yeah. the studios. They didn't want to use Brando. They didn't want to yeah. use Al Pacino. Um uh, that's why at the Oscars, when they did the little tribute, he said, uh, actually, I, I need to acknowledge Robert Evans, who's now passed away, but the famous producer, Robert Evans, at the time, there was probably, he was the in-between guy between the money men and the artist, being Coppola, and there was probably a little bit of friction over the years, but yeah. 
he's actually sort of acknowledged him like uh, all these years later to say the film wouldn't have got made without him which is cool which is really and nice. if people yeah. want to know more about Robert Evans you, you should see the documentary The Kid Stays in the Picture which is a documentary about him because he's a fascinating character he's kind of one of those sort of Hollywood um, um, man about town playboy types really a bit of a star himself a bit like Bogdanovich that he wasn't just a, a film producer he was a kind of a star he's like hi I'm Robert Evans and I'm going to present this movie to you you know and um, very interesting character very great documentary if you haven't seen it check it out um, nice that Coppola mentioned him I thought um, but yeah you know they didn't want Brando because Brando would become by that point his star had faded considerably by the 70s but also i think he was seen as a problem he was seen as a problem yeah. guy and they thought you know i didn't want him well i think that's the thing it, the, the film really revived brando's career uh yeah. essentially because in the 50s he was the guy streetcar named desire and all that you know yeah. he had all that acclaim but then the 60s he, he really went off the tail end a bit and did some really crap films a, a tried directing and that didn't go very well and uh, and as you say, you've been problematic with certain people. Uh, I do love one eye jacks, by the way. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it tanked at the box office, and uh, yeah. he did a string of you know films, and yeah. he turned down loads of roles which would have made money. Yeah, and he became one of those people which he always has been throughout his career that cantankerous um, for people to work with. You know, and uh, yeah, you, you know, so you could see why they probably didn't want to, but. Uh, but, um, you know, he makes the film. There's no doubt he's great in it. It's such an iconic role. I mean, people do, uh, if they do an impression of Marlon Brando, it probably is the, I'll make him an awful camera fuse. I'm going to make him an awful camera fuse. The music's incredible as well. It's iconic. Yeah. You've got various themes there that are just, you know, you just hear a couple of notes of them, you know. <laughs> I always saw it as um, uh, like an allegory of the American dream and a, a kind of pointed um, finger at the the illusion of it all. Mm. Um, um, perfectly demonstrated of, uh, you know, Italian immigrant family uh, getting into a life of crime um, to exploit the kind of commercialism and uh, capitalism of... American society, the essential elements of the American dream, um, but yeah. you know, realizing that uh, the dream is actually a nightmare, uh, you know, by the end of it. Um, sure. Um, so I kind of always saw it as a kind of very pointed finger at American society. Uh, Doubtless, that's through the kind of metaphor of this this family. Ever tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking again? Oh, so many iconic moments in it as well. Yeah. And you got, I mean, Robert Duvall, I think he's, he's brilliant in the first two films, you know. And and they always say the third one isn't quite as good. And, and for me, one of the big reasons for that is that Duvall wasn't part of it, and he should have been really, because Tom Hagen, that whole character, I think is like kind of an important character to it all. But we, I mean, we've both seen, of course, over the years, um, the various cuts of The Godfather that have been done um, for television. Yeah. Um, where the chronological one that goes yeah. all the way through, yeah. So it's they got restructure extra stuff it in it. Yeah, that's an so interesting one. Plenty of material over the years. In fact, there is a version we have seen uh, nine hours long. Uh, yeah, of the Godfather trilogy with lots of extra bits in. Yeah, uh, which does make entertaining viewing, 
Um, but yeah, nothing beats that original piece of historical cinema, yeah. does it? You know, it is a such an iconic milestone. But there we go. That's our thoughts on The Godfather, uh, 50 years uh, since its release. Have you seen it on the big screen? Let us know in the comments below. Uh, let us know your thoughts about it. Are you fans of this iconic movie as much as we are? Uh, always great to chat to people about uh, these films and enthuse about them. That's what we are, film enthusiasts. So, uh, yeah, let us know. So in uh, movie news this week, we've got a couple of bits. The first is a very uh, sad story um, that's just come out uh, about uh, Bruce Willis. Um, of course, famous, most famous for Die Hard, probably, but in loads of amazing films over the years. But um, he's basically uh, retiring or stepping away from acting um, after he's been uh, diagnosed with uh, aphasia, which is a condition that affects the ability to uh, speak and write, uh, which obviously doesn't really work when you when you're an actor, I guess. Um, so, kind of sad, sad news there, really. Yeah, definitely uh, for old Bruce. Yeah, it is. It's really sad. Uh, you know, horrible to hear of uh, anyone having to go through anything like that. But he also seems a little bit young as well to be checking out. Um, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people of his contemporaries, his age, are still making movies, you know, uh, that have been as famous as he is. Uh, seems a bit of a shame that uh, he's, at, he's had to, uh, had to uh, throw his chips in and say that's it. Yeah, sixty-seven. So I mean, not amazingly young, but still, you know, probably a few more more years left. Um, considering, as you say, other people who carry on, yeah, you know, into their eighties. Well, look at and, uh, uh, yeah, Anthony Hopkins, you know, yeah, and Michael Caine and people like yeah. that. Um, yeah, keep on going on, and so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shame, and I think it's one of those things of you know having to give it up, not on your terms. You know, yes. I always think that with like. Um, sports stars and stuff where they're like forced into early retirement and stuff like that. It's never, that's never how you want, if you know, if your career is in something like that, you never want to be forced. No. You know, there's a few films scattered throughout in more recent years where you go, well, he did okay there. Yeah. You know, and he could have done something, you know, if he'd, uh, you know, maybe been picked to be in a Nolan movie or something. I don't know. You know, I think uh, the thing I like but, about him back in the eighties in like Die Hard and stuff, he's, he's the, He's the action guy, but he's the everyman. He didn't have like super big muscles like Arnie or Sylvester Stallone or these other guys that, that rose to fame in the 80s and 90s as the action guys. Bruce was like the everyman. He was like, you know, um, wisecracking, like I say, you know, not in the best shape of his life, but he could do the job. And it was more his personality shone through that was the entertaining part of his characters. But I find in the last, you know, 15 maybe 20 years he's 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 gone the opposite way he's tried to be that more sort of bulky bald-headed sort of i'm a tough guy and it's you know it's kind of like actually we loved you because you were kind of like you know more lovable more sort of like yeah uncle bruce can we do a formal introduction who gives a fuck yeah i think that's it i think and and it is kind of the split of his career you know the stuff 80s 90s was great and then it's more recently not not been as good, but um, but uh, that was definitely it. He was the everyman mm. actor. He was yeah. Hollywood's go to guy for that, and um, yeah, quite uh, good with he, comedy. He you see, because he started out, uh, he rose to fame with Moonlighting. Yeah, and he did a very funny film. Most people probably have forgotten now called Blind Date. 
uh, I think it had um, Kim Bassinger in it, um, and it was like his first sort of major movie, and it was it's dead funny. It's really good. Like uh, again, that sort of uh, comedy element to it all, you know. Um, and obviously, he did Die Hard after that, and that was it. Then he was always forever John McClane. But um, yippee ki motherfucker! Yippee ki yay, motherfucker! Yippee ki motherfucker! Yippee ki motherfucker! Yippee ki motherfucker! All the best to him. Yes. Yeah. All the best, Brucey. And another quick story that's come out this week is about uh, ticket prices. Uh, the often hated kind of part about the cinema that uh, it's been highly debated for years and years and years. But high ticket prices for the Batman, basically, um, uh, which has drove a lot more money uh, to the cinemas. Um, of course, they've put the prices up because it's a big new film and... Uh, but people have still gone and seen it because it's the Batman. They want to go watch it. Um, so big money coming into the cinemas. But, um, you know, experts are pointing out that this is a, a big risk um, to take because this is making audiences kind of guess, you know, second guess, you know, it, the price of a ticket um, mm. with the value of the film they, they're going to see. It's a bit cheeky, um, I think. It is. It is the same. I mean, thing we noticed it because we went to see the Batman, and it was like, "Oh, these tickets have they put the prices up?" But we'd been not long beforehand, and it was like the the usual price. And then go to see the Batman; it's like one or two quid more. And you think, "Hey," yeah. and then we found out that it was actually done as a as a thing. And the, they did the same thing with Spider Man as well, which um, mm. we didn't see it as much because we watched it later on in its run, where I think the prices had dropped. But um, people who I knew had seen it at the beginning of it, it was it was the higher price. So that's how um, they're doing it, are they? It's kind of like there's a premium price for the first uh, couple of weeks of its run to try and guarantee it pulling its money back at box office. And then with something like Batman or Spider-Man, it's going to be in the theatres for a while. They, they drop it down to normal price after a while. I'm guessing so. I, I, that's, that's, I don't have like a concrete evidence of that, but it seems to be what's happening. Sure. Um, uh, which also probably ties in with the factors. Where when the films come out, uh, I noticed near enough every screen in the place is full of it. Um, yeah. You know, so for the first week of the Batman, every screen they've got, you can't get to watch another film um, or struggle to. And then kind of they reduce the screen sizes because they know the demand is less. Um, and it is this thing we've talked about before about like you know. It's that problem of big films dominating the cinema chains and other smaller films not getting in. Yeah. And uh, we're obviously competing with deck. Well, they're competing. We're competing uh, with uh, with streaming platforms and stuff now. And it's. Uh, it might be a, as well uh, something to do with trying to claw back some money after um, the pandemic with, yeah. you know, nobody going out to the theaters, especially for that first lockdown, that first period where people weren't, even, you know, well, everywhere was shut. You couldn't go anywhere anyway. And everybody will have suffered for that. So it seems like that's why I see how I see all the prices going up everywhere as as is. It's basically big companies trying to claw back some the, some of the money they will have lost while everybody had to stay at home and do nothing. Yeah, I think the the one of the things they're talking about is the bo- uh, the box office numbers that they've had in for films, even like Spider Man. It grossed eight hundred million dollars, but. Uh, uh, that's apparently still not enough money um, to make up for the revenue that is lost. Uh, they've only made about 57% at the same period 
pre-pandemic. Um, so, al- although individual, we've seen individual runs of uh, good revenue, um, we've mentioned on the podcast before during Spider-Man and stuff, it's still not in the big picture uh, up to up to par yet. Um, so how it claws that back, again, say we talk about streaming services and stuff, it's a, it'd be an interesting to see where they go, really. Well, I'll leave this section with um, Gordon Gecko and his famous quote. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. That just leaves us enough time to tell you about what we've been up to elsewhere on the internet this week. That means our website or here on our YouTube channel. So we did a reaction video to Top Gun Maverick, which is the uh, sequel to the 1986 Tom Cruise movie, which is coming out this summer. Dave and I have watched the theatrical trailer uh, and reacted to that. So if you're interested to see our thoughts on Top Gun Maverick, then the video is linked in the description below. Absolutely, and I've done a review of Drive My Car, one of the films nominated for Best Picture and picked up Best International Picture at the Oscars. Um, that's a film and five review right here on the YouTube channel and, of course, on the website. Link in the description down below. We also have an article on the website. Something we like to do uh, quite often is our top five of any given director. We've got loads of them up there. Uh, at the moment, we've got Paul Thomas Anderson, we've got Spike Lee, we've got Tarantino, we've got Scorsese, Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Christopher Nolan, loads of them already up there. This week's article is our top five Terrence Malick films. So if you're a Terrence Malick fan, go and check out our top five, see what you think, let us know in the comments. There's a link in the description below. And if you want to listen to this podcast in audio-only format, maybe when you're out for a jog or when you're cooking up in the kitchen, uh, you can listen to it on all the major podcast platforms. That's Apple Music Plus, uh, Spotify, etc. We've got a link down in the description below with all the information. And why not join us on social media? We are at More Movies For You on most of the platforms there. So come and say hi to us on Twitter or Instagram or something. Uh, we also have a Discord server, so you can have a live chat with us over there. All of these links, again, are down in the description. And if you enjoy what we're doing and would like to support us, then you can hop on over to buymeacoffee.com and buy us a latte or cappuccino. Uh, that really helps us. Um, you can make a donation, helps us keep the light on, helps us make our content here. Or you can jump over to Patreon and subscribe to one of the packages where you get to vote on some of the content we make here and see some exclusive content. Uh, the links for all of this are in the description down below. But otherwise, my friend, I think that's it this week. 45 is done, dusted, put into a box, taped up and sent out with the rest of the Amazon packages (laughs) to the internet and the rest of the universe. Any final thoughts before we go, my friend? Well, just make sure the package with the horse's head is delivered to the correct bed and put on the correct pillow, okay? Absolutely not a problem, my friend. You've chosen wisely. That's it for this video. Let us know your thoughts in the comments down below. And remember to like, share and subscribe right here on YouTube. For more film reviews and articles, check out our website, moremovies.co.uk. And join us on social media, at More Movies For You. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all across the board. You know the score. If you enjoy what we do, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com or join us on one of our packages on Patreon. The links are in the description down below. And for more film-tastic content, click one of the buttons on screen now.